come stop and take a trip down on my block Where you see hidden potential, young minds sharper than Ginsu And ain't afraid to speak their mind if they got something against you We standing with you, we tackle issues like civic pride Hate will cease to exist, let's put our differences aside From my side to your side, from Dutchtown to Southside From Penrose to Northside, from Benton Park to Old North to West End to West Side We bless when we step out, we stand down, rise up, stand together, wise up this is Stitchcast Studio, produced by St. Louis Story Stitchers in St. Louis, Missouri. Our Stitchcast sits down with Dr. Shawande Mustakin to discuss the lost and disappearing histories in black culture in this special Divided City edition of Stitchcast Studio. They say who that, but you already knew that. That beat them story stitches, story stitches, story stitches, story stitches, story stitches. Thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of Stitch Cast. I am Amira, your host. Um, today, we have a very special guest with us, Dr. Mustakim. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, gosh. Wow. How do I reduce myself to a few things? <laughs> First thing is, I am the one and only Dr. Shwande Mustakim in the world. I only one with this name. Wow. That said, I'm a two-time award-winning author. I am a tenured professor at Washington University. I'm the first African-American tenured within the history department, as well as the Department of African and African-American Studies. I write, think, teach, and expand the future anchored within blackness. And I do a little bit of a whole lot of what I know we will delve into today. That's great. Okay. So, first question is, you're not originally from St. Louis, so what brought you to St. Louis? Most of all, the job. I never saw myself coming to St. Louis. However, a phenomenal opportunity came up at Washington University that I applied for. An assistant professor job then, and um, so that was now about 16 years ago. Wow. And I've been here, like I said, teaching and expanding and really trying to develop the more informed future about blackness and the evolution of history and history. Mm, indeed, I remember. I'll get into yes. that a little bit. <laughs> uh, and did you travel before you became a professor or after or during you know how did that come about traveling just traveling in general yeah i know you traveled didn't you go um to yeah i've gone a lot of places yeah. i mean honestly i can say i've been traveling since the age of three um, my parents have always been big on movement understanding the world within and beyond where you are hmm. So when I think about travel, there is, I grew, I was born in Pittsburgh, but I was raised in Atlanta. And then there's traveling across the country. And when I was in college, I first went out of the country to Costa Rica. And then I went to Egypt and Brazil and London and Liverpool. And I've just really been working my way around the diaspora. I've also gone to Ghana where I did it's almost like self-study, self-reflection, and then also what I didn't realize is it was preparation for the book that I was about to write. Mm. So I've been all over the globe and we're just getting started. Mm. Do you know exactly how many historical sites you visited? Now that's a good question. <laughs> no, because I have not been keeping a tally. However, it's been many places where I see the value, not only that my mother, my parents, my family would introduce me to, even if that means going to visit family in varying rural spaces. But then there is now, I'm moving a whole new train of memory, mm. especially local memory, 
think because we can get fixated on the commercialized understanding of only the national right and we lose sight of what is really around us so now i'm becoming even more invested in historical memory by going to the sites where different aspects of history and history happen mm -hmm. so that way students can be in that vibration and not just oh i remember reading it in a textbook mm. you know what places or things do you feel should be considered historical sites so in our wonderful technological era i have to need to underscore the importance of archives google cannot and will not ever be the only archive ever mm -hmm. that houses any aspect of anybody's history or history so now we've got to get offline and go to the the sites of preservation that the money is there the places are there for us to go to but we don't go and the less foot traffic then it will close and collapse so i would start with historical societies if anybody's ever been to the missouri historical society or the Missouri State Archives. Again, we could start there. And then we begin to sort of look at the commercialized aspect. We can go to the Griot Museum. And then yes, of course, we should go to the National African American History Museum. So again, we gotta think about what places have been there long before that some generations don't know about, don't find any value. Mm -hmm. And then yet those who learn first through other places like the Blacks and Wax Museum. Mm -hmm. A lot of people aren't talking about that because we get so caught up in D.C. And D.C. and the National African American History hasn't always been there, yet it is a part of a larger national memorializing of the Black past. And there's varying types of money that's represented in that preservation. So again, I would start with archives, and then I would really think about Black museums, where we are, maybe even thinking about underwater. So there's different ways where we can go in the future, and then there's sort of the age-old museums and archives that have been there. For my book, I went to 25 archives across the world. So archives matter. Archives can help us to tell stories that we don't have to make up that we mm. then can directly engage what has happened around us and and evolve. What sure. was um, some of the most, I guess, important information that you found there that you might have not thought you would see? There's been so many, whether we're talking about the New York Academy of Medicine to study 18th century disease and the evolution and how it's talked about in order to understand the context of the slave trade was important, while also going to the Liverpool archives to study slavery, to also go to Jamaica and study slavery, to go to South Carolina and North Carolina and to get access to the past directly. For me, I was interested in the 18th century, not where the general memory will be in the 19th century. Um, so all the sources themselves have been important. Even more now that some people are losing, we're losing our ability to read cursive, then every document takes on a whole new meaning for the future because if, if we can't even read cursive, then, then mm. the past is completely hidden from you over mm. and over. So a letter between a surgeon and a slave trader is gonna be just as important as a seaman's diary, mm. which is also gonna be just as important as a series of mortality lists where some females died of a miscarriage or an abortion and well, some men might, might, might die from other ways that affect the body in different ways. So all the sources matter when, where, and how, and if we take it serious in, mm. the, in the dig for the black past. 
So in in your uh, digging through several different archives, did you find information from one archive that conflicted information from another? And if you came across that issue, how did you decide which piece of information was more likely to be true? Thank you for that. In writing a book, in going to the archives, it is putting together a tapestry of conversations that oftentimes will be separate. Mm -hmm. So I went in with a single question that really wove together different conversations and different things that I was seeing. Now, the conflicts were there, meaning black life might be hidden a little bit more. It is sort of using the different conversations that come up to be able to make clear and give more texture to the past that way. So it was less for me about conflict and it was more about putting them in conversation in order to make the argument that I was making, which fundamentally is that violence is central to the evolution of any slaving past and more importantly, the slave trading past. So all the conversations led to it. It's just being sophisticated on what do I see and how are they talking about this and how does all of this come together? Do you have any favorite historical sites in St. Louis? Well, you know, I have to say the Grio has been an important space that I've been able to take students to periodically over the years to be able to engage this St. Louis black past. And in many ways, mirroring the, the blacks and wax, which is in Baltimore. But then it was also when I found a case and now a series of cases that I'm tracing. Oftentimes studying death or um, a moment that led to death. And, and now I've uncovered a series of those across St. Louis, particularly from the 19th century. So there was also when I led a trip across Missouri itself that I also ended up in Kansas City and we went to the site of a murder while also going down to Jefferson City to go where this woman who had been murdered that her murderess or the murderess had been sent to the Missouri State Penitentiary. So it's moving parts in different sites for me that technically don't exist anymore. Mm. They're the remaining sites that we can say we can physically see. But as I engage the past even more now with these new books, I'm seeing St. Louis come alive in a way that we have no record of, that we can't physically see unless in time, as the details come, then perhaps more movies, more conversations about what happened to the destruction of different neighborhoods that were mm. active with many types of people, including African-Americans. Mm. So all that to say, because I study the dead, there's a lot of places that, again, have over time evolution happens and so too does our memory. And if it's based only on a physical site, then we're only engaging within the present itself and mm. not really remembering at all what came before. Mm. Mm. Uh, I guess after that, I would have to ask, what's the difference then between places that are called historical sites mm. and places that aren't called historical sites, but history happened? That's a great one and a tough one because all of a sudden it's now calling into question who is the barometer of a site and then what holds value? Who's determining that? And then who's gonna determine if a marker or if there's an investment or a museum and or any awareness of the place itself. So 
Now it's really kind of coming down the dollars. Mm. Dollars then perhaps can help preserve the memory, but then there is the generational memory over time that without dollars, we know that something happened there and or that there has been the evolution of black life, black success, that even if the local archivists and state historians don't want to remember, we remember, but and until when? Mm. Who's going to be the last one that's going to say, you know, that this is a place and a site that with or without the sanctioning of local historians, a site, or I'm sorry, a state or a nation, then who's going to be the ones to help essentially memorialize these local moments that over time can get lost without money? Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's that time again. Time for another StitchCast Studio Arts Interlude. That's right, it's time to pick the city up. This week, we have a Story Stitch's original song entitled, Wade. Far from lost on me Our undertones with tensions high You hear them audibly They heard but shouldn't be no more Stacked against those that still survive So still I tried No, still I rise until I thrive And struggle isn't me no more A queen taught me why the cage bird sings Then a king came and taught me Why the birdie doesn't sing no more Too busy gnawing at the locks to get free He gnaws until his beak bleeds He knows one day it won't bleed no more One day my beak won't bleed no more one day he'll open all the cages See broken, better faces, crack a smile Cause they no longer have to wonder What it's like to be free no more But you know freedom ain't free no more He breaks free And ain't the type to break free And turn his back on all the other birds that ain't free And so he flies to where the cage birds sing And the next song the cage birds sing says We wanna grow Even if it's good, She reminded me of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden Eager to have a taste of that fruit that was so forbidden Her parents sheltered her thus St. Louis City was hidden She became like Pandora, opened the box and lost the ribbon Couldn't relate to her peers so she remained quiet she saw the kids in caskets, which then triggered the riots Evil flowing from Zeus' gifts, you can hear my city crying Now she's thinking what if Adam and Eve didn't bite it Didn't bite it, 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 I see the atrocities done to my people Following in debt and self-doubt The ones that can't help us just laughing through the people Or maybe it's a kaleidoscope 
Maybe they see something different and there is no hope. Nah, I don't believe it. I believe that we can all do better. Take my pain and suffering, poke holes from end to end, spill out my blood, pick up a pen, and maybe I'll write a letter. And I'ma drop to sincerities. No formalities allowed, full volume, hear me clear and loud because you know me, you can't hide from me. You've seen my face before, I'm the injustice in the winds. Yeah, I'm the one right at your door, I'm knocking. Won't you let it be? Even if we're scared of the water, no matter what, we keep our heads above the water. We wanna change. Even if we're scared of the water, no matter what, we keep our heads above the water. Keep our heads above the water We'll find a way Even if we're scared of the water No matter what we keep our heads above the water Children Waking up in STL Thinking should I wear a vest You hear it every day It's a lot of shooters on the streets In the Midwest this is the land of the curse, you say. Being verified with a gang to make it out is the only way. I think it's sad. The only news that's on the news is St. Louisans getting shot. Young faces just fade away. I'm tired of hearing it. Let's add positivity. I see everybody making it out of the city, out of this nitty gritty. If everybody contributes to the craft, we gon' make history. But what can I say? It's up to the people, including you, of course. Including you, of course. Including you, of course. We wanna grow. Even if we're scared of the water, we wanna keep Trying to stand tall like the Eiffel But what you supposed to do when all your homies suicidal? All my life I'm trying to live large just like my idols But if I don't, it's just a game charged or what I might do And all my life my brothers break laws and duck the Bible But cling on, I hope, I hope your destiny finds you Think back when we was kids, let that remind you That you can do anything we you place your mind to I mentioned this uh, during the planning session that you're probably the first guest to ever give us homework. Oh, yes, nobody's yeah. ever done that. And after hearing you talk about being a professor, it made perfect sense. Of course, of course. <laughs> um, but um, the first question he asked us uh, when we started the planning session was, "What is a black historic site?" And uh, I am curious to hear what your uh, how you would define a black historic site. And um, also, I think everybody kind of came up with their own qu uh, answer to that question. Okay, okay. So could, could we could we go around saying what that was to us? I started off. For me, it's still kind of cloudy too, but I would guess it's just somewhere where memories happen. Because for me, as a black young person, remembering from back then makes me who I am now, you know? So if I know that if there's something I don't know, like from the past, that I want to know, it make you feel not necessarily lost, but like there's a lost 
history like you know what i'm saying do you get it so for yeah. me uh, a historic place or a black historic place is really just where memories occurred you know mm. whether they were good or bad because i feel like in some way it affected and impacted us as a people you know mm-hmm. for sure for sure i feel it's a place for honor you know what i'm saying it's a it's a way to honor this moment in time when something took place so whether it be doing a slave trade whether it be doing a harlem renaissance whether it be today uh, a black historical site would be you honoring that moment or those people and what they stood for so yeah i agree i feel like the whole purpose of a historical site is to just acknowledge like whatever struggles or hardships went on at that place where the historical site is located got you got you i want to go next if you don't mind because i do not want to go behind you (laughs) (laughs) but um uh, i had to type it out too because i took i interpreted it to be a real philosophical question so Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if it's a right or wrong answer, but this is my mm-hmm. answer. Um, so uh, the, cr- the criteria for me for um, a site to be black and historic was that the site ha- had to be uh, either historically black or it had to be uh, it had to have been erected by a black person uh, for uh, mm-hmm. for black people. And it also had to have some sort of uh, historical significance on um like 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 either the current direction of culture or a direction that culture was previously in and that that was like to me to me it has to it has to fit one or all of those things wow i'm going i'm following you exactly (laughs) (laughs) because my mind is just moving all over and i don't think i think all that deep however Mm -hmm. i do go off into deeper aspects to think so yes on one side we can think about a way of dollars and investment Mm -hmm. but then there are the sites that we don't want to claim where lynching happened and or water 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 Mm -hmm. the weaponizing of water whether we're thinking about Emmett Till or we're thinking about the slave trade Mm -hmm. again those are sites and as we think about space then we can go within and beyond the plantation then we can go beyond just the southern phenomena and then we can recognize that there's evolution upon many sites that are made and remade and unmade all the time however there's the the, what's not tangible for me it's that water that's where a lot of blackness has just been it's happened it's been broken down it's been all kinds of things and we leave it out the conversation so as i think about the sites of memory in the future we need to be building new ones we need those that we don't have to physically go to so now we're having greater accessibility i think Mm -hmm. the pandemic really should have us thinking about how could someone within japan still have access to these deeper local histories um so the sites are going to be contingent upon the generation that is finding value and moving it forward not just in conversation but actually making it happen in that way and making sure it's not forgotten because there's a constant remembrance project that we're all a part of Mm -hmm. and or we can hold it up yes yes how do you feel like historic sites impact us or affect us Mm. (laughs) i think vibrationally in a lot of ways so that means if a college dorm for example was built on top of a former graveyard Mm. that site those sites all become impacted one another it doesn't matter if someone's aware of it or not Mm. 
So again, over time, the evolution, our memory, the building of new buildings on top of does not mean the past is gone. So I see it very multi-layered. The impact is there. And then some are more sensitive and more aware that even right now we're in a space that we're coexisting with the past. Some of us can see it and some of us were unaware. So the impact is there. And I think in time as we ask new questions and we can begin to unlock even more of these layers, but it's a constant impact. Mm, that's good. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been to any sites that you thought were odd that they built it on top of maybe a cemetery or, you know, that wasn't a historic site? They just built something on top of it. Have you ever seen something like that? No, I've heard of it, but I've been in sites that came alive that the average person wasn't aware of was. So when I went to the dungeons where enslaved people were kept, there was a moment where, let's say, it was like a whole other world was revealed to me. And I couldn't, at one point, it was like I couldn't even tell what century I was in. Because what I was seeing was very different from what other people were seeing around me. And so it was that site where constant trauma, agony, and suffering happened that I was not only aware of it in the sorrow that was coming over, but then it was being able to see. So I can't imagine if there ever is a day to build on top of where a slave dungeon is. And there are those places. Many of the slave dungeons have been destroyed, but it would be interesting to see those places where slavery happened and and the more modern world was built on top of it, where and how the ghosts linger. I often will invoke that because we forget that. So there are those who passed on that are waiting to be remembering. So they're hanging around, but again, not everyone is aware of it. But uh, is there any sites that you think um, should be labeled historical, like modern sites today? Like eventually over time, is there any site that you think would become mm. historical? I'm gonna continue to say the waterways. So we need to really think about okay. the rivers and where a lot of bodies have been hidden because mm -hmm. of race. But I also go to graveyards. I can't tell you enough to try to trace and find black life within graveyards over the centuries. Mm -hmm. As we can direct people, as we can have markers, then we can have a revived interest. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there is an interest, it's just directing people and the importance of it. And then maybe we'll do a better job of really preserving those spaces in a whole other way, as opposed to in some areas, it's just littered. You know, we're not preserving. And so we do have to think about class, how that's playing out in certain neighborhoods that it's not. So again, water and graveyards are huge for me but then there is just sort of where the everyday living was made and happening over and over and again i think because i've lived so many different places i'm like we need it in atlanta we need it in missouri we need it in new york we need it all over and then a hundred years from now what's gonna still be standing mm. Mm. Right. what if the lights went out and then there's no digital record mm -hmm. again how Facts. do we Facts. you know what's it's gonna possible. is there gonna be just like a, a time capsule that is that we can protect from any sort of erosion that can still say that there was a people here they had a history and a historical evolution so there's a lot of things again we take for granted so we got to think about the multitudes of ways of archiving and preserving so it's so we can ensure that within 3023 that we'll still be having these conversations mm. that there are places do you think it's done purposefully like it's hidden purposefully 
From who? From us. From, from, from us from, by who? Who is they? Um, <laughs> I had you know, students that all the time. <laughs> I say they. I'm speaking the higher ups, the people who oh. could tell you don't come to this site or. Yeah. You know. If we lived in a world where I could have books in the back of my car and they could be stolen, then I might go with that. Okay. However, what that means is I don't see people out here trying to steal knowledge. So what's being hidden? The library's open, the archive is open. It all then is how we're directed. It's the access. It is sort of the larger, since now we're in a very political moment of the curriculum. Curriculum is what shapes access. And mm. then that then is what can drive a whole new future. But the average person right now, we're starting to become less of a reading society. Mm. So there's nothing hidden. In fact, as he'll say, if you want to hide something from all kinds of people, put it, put it in, it in a, a book. book. Mm -hmm. yep. Again, when's the last time you saw somebody's car getting broken into because 30 books got stolen? Right, right, right. right. <laughs> Come on. I think it might just have something to do with like books not that attractive to. Like, They're not. Oh. You know. <laughs> when, when you speak on no. books, people people tend to you know shy away. Yeah. But if we could possibly put that into a more visual, I don't know. It's possible though. Some books are making it in the graphic novels, but then not everybody. Mm -hmm. And so we do have to make sure there's still, just as we have different versions, we have different types of learners. Mm -hmm. We need to make sure we continue to have different versions for us to engage. Because I fear a future where there will be no books. Mm -hmm. I love it. And it'll be, oh, you would love it? Uh, no, I don't know. I'm saying oh, I love no, them. Like, I love don't. books. No, Me no, too. No, no, no. I love books too. <laughs> that would mean if there were no books, then my book is gone. Right. However, I'm like, this book is going to outlive me, hopefully, to continue to inform us. But that only is going to depend if people still read. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Isn't that when we be saying facts? Yeah, facts. No, facts. <laughs> facts. At first, like me personally, um, at first, I didn't like to read. Mm. I think it has something to do with. It was kind of forced. So in school, did it be part of the curriculum? We're gonna go read, uh, you know, what I'm saying Romeo and Juliet, something like that. You know, it was just it seemed a little corny to me. But as I got older, went to college, got, you know, what I'm saying I had to lock into the library. So I started reading more self-help books, mm -hmm. books that help your mental, you know, stuff like mm -hmm. that. I think if we had maybe a section of that in, in, in more schools. Students probably open their mind, you know what I'm saying, and expand it to different horizons. But all all we had was, you know what I'm saying, fantasy once upon a time. No, but I, I get what you're saying too, Tony. Uh, it's like when you have to read a specific thing, yeah. it make you not want to read. Because I, I remember I used to get punished with reading. Dang, so, you know what I'm saying? Lord. It's like you don't want to do a kid like that either. Mm. But, you know, w once I got to a place where it was like, oh, is books like this that exist? You know right. what I'm saying? Then it's like, you could open your mind like he said. So I think I kind of agree, but. I do like self-help books. Okay. I like this whole world of continuing education. We get locked in on once we're done, that we think that we're done learning. And I like to learn more. How do I activate a new set of skill sets? I'm constantly doing that with my students so that way they can stand out. That's how they're getting into programs and all kinds of places like doors flying open mm -hmm. because I'm activating new skill sets. So as I am trying to make sure that I am multi-talented, then I want to ensure that for the future. Mm. Now, self-help, yes. And then there is also slowing down. There is being quiet. 
and then that becomes a whole other way of helping the self mm. and helping new activations that can help the future. So I think that if we emphasize all of that, if we actually encourage thinking outside the box, if we think expansively, if we really think forward thinking and not just teaching to the test, mm -hmm. and then also again, recognizing the different types of learners, then we can really skyrocket the way we used to. However, we just kind of lock people in. It's my way or no way. Mm. Not in my class. Find yourself. I'm not trying to make you into me. Mm. Let's all be us. Let's be the, our future potential and even more. Mm. And where and how are you creating your own legacy? Mm. So I had, you made me have another question though mm -hmm. about the archives. When you go to the archives, do they have different information and different ways for different people absolutely different archives have a different focus and so you can go to the website of any archive locally go and look at about their mission their holdings and their collections so that way you can set up an appointment and go and engage the past so i like to take students to the archives so that way when i moved on to another realm then they can be here doing the archival work Mm. So, yes, archives. Oh, I love archives. <laughs> mm. um, as a historian, how did you feel about Hamilton? Hamilton. Did, did you see him? I did not. Oh, I did what? not. You can call me out. That's all right. Yeah, what? I actually did not. I've had, I'll be honest, I never had time. And then a friend of mine was oh. like, you got to go see it. You got to go see it. And no. Oh, it's, it's on Disney Plus. It is. No, I don't have Disney Plus. However, I'm sure I'll find somebody. <laughs> for sure, for sure. I'm, not, I'm just interested in your historical opinion about it. They, I mean, it's, it's not like, I mean, it's a hip hopper, and we know they wouldn't actually out there singing and rapping and whatever. But, you know what I'm saying? Mm. It's still. Or were they? But it's got people no. in games. <laughs> Maybe. Yes, yes, for sure. For sure, because yeah. I love me some rap. Wow. They you know might not have been rapping, but they might have been singing. Maybe. Well, we know they were. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Question. Uh, how do you feel like racism has affected the development of black historical sites in Missouri? Nationally, too. Well, really globally, because you've been around the world, so. No small question. <laughs> in the political climate. <laughs> Where we are in the globe, we don't even have a full context of what racism is. Mm. It's become so many different words all together and it's triggering everybody yeah. that we can't even get a real sense of what it is. Mm. So as I just kind of on a very basic level try to remind my students, it is having racialized ideas and not only just keeping it there, but then moving into action. So dare I say, that this whole AP African-American studies becomes racism in motion. How dare the cutting of history and to say what is mattering. That is racism. When things are erased, destroyed as if it never happened. So then we go even deeper to say, oh, well, grave robbing then only contributed to the evolution of the American medical profession, but then yet, if we're not teaching about that, that's a whole other form of racism within the American education system on all sides. Mm -hmm. The future of medical education, but then also the average K through 12. So, a, so racism is going to become even harder to define as we become less clear about the terms. Mm -hmm. But we have to be able to show it, demonstrate it, find the evidence and or just saying it's happening. So that's what's so visceral about it. 
it's hard to really say this is what it is other than this is a moment it's racial mm. however how is it holding someone or a people back what is that looking like and then where and how are we creating a future where perhaps more of this is happening mm. so different industries different leaders different moments we're seeing racism in full action I don't need to name names. However, I think that the global news is showing us a lot of different versions. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so on based off that, <laughs> how do you feel about the whole Mike Brown memorial and everything that happened in that situation? Like, what's your thoughts about all that? Well, as I think about, as I step back, honestly, to think about memorials and the memorialization. There are the politics of blackness and then the politics of those who have passed on. And so there, then the new battlefields emerge. How do you want that moment to be remembered? Mm -hmm. And then who gets to become that barometer? Who gets to determine the where and the how? So these type of memorial battles have happened as we are trying to make sense, as we're trying to find a sense of peace within it. Then there is, again, just the politics of space and then who and what. And, and there's been different versions of this over and over and over. When, as I'm even thinking even more on a whole other level, it is when the murder of Mike Brown happened where I was that gives me, and we may have talked about that, that I was actually on a 10 day silent meditation. I was almost left academia because there was just a lot going on as I was trying to move forward on the pathway. And so when I came back, I'm coming from so-called bliss into racial chaos. Mm -hmm. The only one at Washington University teaching on the topic, looking at the policing of black life and also the social history of black crime and then yet the perception of black mm -hmm. crime. And so now years and Many more years later, I knew this was going to happen as we were thinking again about the politics of where and how we remember a moment and what is it? How do we want to be remembered? And then yet, who are those that are trying to sort of skew the memory itself? So as I think about any memorial and then even more connected with Mike Brown, there's going to constantly be these politics. And when is it? Where and how is that going to evolve? And, and then, as you keep hearing me say, 10 years from now, 100 years from now, mm -hmm. what is the battlefield going to be in the memory and the memorializing? What does that look like? Mm. Speechless. That's heavy. <laughs> That's heavy. Do you, or what historical sites do you think are most significant for black culture? The number one that just popped in my head that I should have already invoked that now I will. And, and hopefully some of us have heard of Carter G. Woodson. Anybody? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, maybe. Well, he's considered the father of black history. We should go to his home, to his, his historic site. He's the reason why there is not only a Black History Month, but what did start as Negro History Week, that there's a Journal of African American History. There's also the largest professional African-American historical organization, the Association for the Study of African-American Life and History, that he founded in 1915 and 1916. And then in 1926, you would see Negro History Week. And then by 1950, when he passed away, then we see the evolution of more of what will become in time Black History Month. So I have to say, 
The fact that he died doing the work for us in his house, we need to go visit his home. Mm. We need to all go be a part of that energy as we're trying to connect with education and miseducation of who we are. We all need to read miseducation as a Negro and we need to go visit his house, his house. So, Carter G. Woodson, it has been preserved, there has been money, there have been guides that have been created. We need to go to those who had the nerve to say that there is a history and I, I demand that the future remember it. We need to go to those places. We need to even perhaps even go where W.E.B. Du Bois, where he died. We need to go to these sites and not just leave people, you know, on our shoulders as these icons that we don't realize are people that evolved and had you know, different aspects to who they are. So all that said, we should go to the homes, we should go to the archives, we should go to the museums, and we should also go make time to be by the river and the ocean because history and black history and history was made there as well. So um, here in St. Louis Story Stitches, we, we talk a lot about mentorship and the importance on it. Um, is there anybody specifically that helped impute this knowledge into you? So, Cause just listening to you, you know, I'm just blown away. You know what I'm saying? So I just wanted to know, is there anybody specific, whether it be somebody from history or, you know what I'm saying, family? Sure. Yeah. Thank you. I have to give the, the deepest shout out to both of my parents. I am very grateful to come through two parents, Velma Mustakim and Muhammad Mustakim, okay. who are and we're addicted to black history and demanded it in the household. Mm. So there is the being told information, but then there's where you go pursue it and you own it. Mm. So not relying completely on other people, but using that as an activator to go pursue and go even deeper. So by the time that I finished my high school diploma, I felt like I already had a PhD in Mustakim, his, you know, black history. Cause right. we were going from every weekend, my mother would take me to the bookstore. I could only get one book. I had to make sure I finished that. But then I would always end up finishing like 10 books every week. Wow. Cause I was trying to follow her. My mother would inhale books per day. Mm. And she's basically like a black female Steve Jobs. I mean, mm. like a techie who's doing coding and all these different things. And so for me, I was following behind that. So it's my mom, but it's also my great grandmothers. It's, it's everyone, everyone. I get excited about who they are. Do you know who you are and where and how are you going to give even more to the world itself? So I was constantly reminded that I have great purpose in this world to empower. And then it was once I believed that I knew enough that then I could step into that. Mm -hmm. So I give most to my parents. At what point did you feel like you knew enough to step into that? Like, like what, oh, what was the I was benchmark? told I had to get a job. That oh, meant yeah. I would have never stopped the PhD. <laughs> mm -hmm. I would have just hung out in libraries and kept writing and writing and thinking. And, and in one year I read 600 books. Whoa. That's like two and books I, a day. I still didn't feel like I knew the full story. Mm. However, I can walk into any room. Thankfully, as I've read things, they stick. So then I have a full timeline of things. So as I engage with the past, I'm able to really sort of make sense of it in other ways. But, and it was, again, I gotta get a job. Mm -hmm. So then that forced me to, all right, Let's finish up this 400 page dissertation and get a job. And then it all worked. And then all of a sudden I was like a top pick 
nationally different universities saw the value in me studying the slave trade mm. and it was me seeing value in myself but the yeah. whole time i felt like a fraud oh no they're gonna mm. ask me some question that i don't know and then i had to remember i know more than them because i've went to 25 archives and i've been mm. living with this mm. so now 16 years later when i walk into the classroom i'm like oh no do i know enough yes i do <laughs> and then we're still we got new books to engage and to empower the future mm. so it is also having confidence in my black mind that I might be blacknificent mm -hmm. in these ways that I can give to the future. So it is having courage and then saying, now we're going to step into it with the multitude of others. Mm. Wow. When you um, look at your students, is there any any one or uh, any group of them that stands out like, oh, they're going to be just like me. They're going to they're be studying and reading and learning forever. Them, I hope. I mean, I'm seeing it now. They're getting into law school and med schools and public health and becoming professors and all kinds of things. And the students who take it serious and really grab hold to the rigor, that's what I can see. I have that ability to see into every student and to be able to pull out their best in them. Mm -hmm. And they're like, you just see me. I'm like, I do. <laughs> no, come on, let's come on, let's let it shine. <laughs> so that way you can give to the world these ways. So I see that in every single student that shows up. Every single student. No matter the background, everybody has a place at the desk, at the table, and a part of the conversation. I continue to do my best to nurture that best in them. Well, Thank you, everybody, for listening to StitchCast. This was a special edition podcast. Um, and thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Bye, guys. <laughs> we out. And last but not least, Dr. Mustakin. Woohoo! Thank you. Absolutely. Aye. We out. Yay, yay. StitchCast Studio Special Edition. The Divided City is funded by the Divided City Initiative. The Divided City is a joint project of the Center for the Humanities and the Sam Fox School, College of Architecture, and Urban Designs at Washington University in St. Louis. The Divided City is funded by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation. Story Stitch is supported in part by the Lewis Prize for Music's 2021 Accelerator Award. The mission of the Lewis Prize is to partner with leaders who create positive change by investing in young people through music. Additional support for StitchCast Studio and Story Stitch programs is provided by the Spirit of St. Louis Women's Fund, City of St. Louis Youth at Risk Crime Prevention Grant of 2023, Trio Foundation, Deaconess Foundation, and the Arts and Education Council. St. Louis Story Stitchers and the Center is supported in part by Kranzberg Arts Foundation as a resident organization. Thank you for listening. They say who that, but you already knew that. That beat them story stitches. Story stitches, story stitches, story stitches, story stitches.